Welcome, everybody. My name is Alex Barrett. I'm the lead pastor here, and we're glad, like we've mentioned, that you're here to, to worship with us. Uh, we believe that this is actually a, a privilege and a gift to be able to be gathered uh, together. And uh, we also recognize that you probably have uh, a lot of things going on in your mind. Anyone right now, like your mind is just all over the place? Anyone? You can't even raise your hand. You don't even know what I said. You're so involved in your head, right? Uh, so oftentimes on Sundays, we're wrapping up the weekend, we're starting to think about the week, and a lot of things begin to set in. Uh, sometimes it's just like, oh, I'm not looking forward to another week of work or the grind or whatever you're facing. Uh, but on Sunday, we also have an opportunity where we can reset. You know, we can reset our minds, we can reset our lives. And, and that's what we hope uh, you can do with us each week is get recalibrated, hear from God, allow him to speak to you directly from his word, that will actually give you strength in your real life. And that's the beauty of the Christian life. You don't have to check out. Uh, you don't have to just leave your life at the door when you walk in. Uh, but you actually want to integrate your whole life with Jesus and the truth found in his word. And that's what we're doing actually in this series called Rooted. And uh, like Samantha mentioned, you should have received a program. You can see the image on the front of that. And we're working through the book of Ephesians in the New Testament. And it's really a book that's written uh, to the early church in the first century as Christianity was spreading and getting started. But the beauty of the book of Ephesians, it's also written to the church today. And in scripture, there is a bridge that exists. It's written in history for us, distant, different cultures, different things that they were facing. But at the same time, there's a bridge through the person of Christ, through the work that he does in the Holy Spirit where something written hundreds and hundreds of years ago can still be relevant and speak to us today. And so as we're looking at what Paul, the writer of Ephesians, is telling the people of Ephesus, an ancient city that most of us have probably never been, there's also things that, that we can learn and glean as a church. And so our goal through this is to look at how we can be a, a people that are rooted. And today we're talking about being rooted in peace. Last week, we talked about being rooted in grace. And the week before that, the launch of the series, we talked about being rooted in hope. And the whole theme of Ephesians is because of what Jesus has done, we can experience those things. We can experience peace, we can experience grace, and we can experience hope. Now, if I were to do a survey in the community and I was going to walk to the farmer's market after church and ask people what they're looking for in life, there'd be some probably variation of most people are looking for peace. And most are on a search for hope. They're on a search for meaning and purpose and they want to experience grace in their life. They want to kind of be lifted from the weight of the burden of their sin or the burden of sins that impacted them. And so even in Scripture, the themes that you find are actually what we need and what we long for because that's how God made us. He made us in his image to search for something deeper, and ultimately that search would lead to his son, Christ. And so today I want to talk about peace but I want to start off a little bit on a lighter note, and then it's going to get a little bit more serious, just to talk about how much we can be divided. So what's the opposite of, of peace, would you say? Conflict, division, war, right? Those things are opposite. Now, I don't know if you realize it, but major divisions exist in our culture. They exist, exist in, in Southern California. Uh, here's some just to kind of get you guys going. So <laughs> is there a right answer? Yes. 
What is it? Okay. Uh, it's like, angels. That's what I heard. Angels. Right? So this, this divides people. You know, Dodgers fans over this side. Angels, you know, would people be switching? We, we'd see. Uh, here's another one. Anyone like swear by Diet Coke, like it's your favorite drink. Okay. You're welcome here. How many of you are like, it used to be, now it's Coke Zero. You made the switch. Okay, yeah. It's like, we don't do Diet Coke anymore. We've moved on. We've evolved. Coke Zero. But how many of you are like, you will never do a, a diet soda in your life? It's like, why would you even do that? Okay, now they're coming out. Now the people whose teeth are rotting. <laughs> I told you, I get, I get it all going here. Uh, here's another one, a little bit more serious. There is absolutely a right answer to this. Absolutely. And if you ever say under, you're wrong. It's always over. Amen? Okay. I knew I liked this group, okay? But this, I, I, there's people even in my own house that forget that. And I'm like, I don't even know how it works. What do you, what under doesn't work over? Let's get a little bit more serious. Next one. Oh, oh. We know, <laughs> we know, right? What about this one? Let's get even further. Oh, it gets deeper. Is there divisions in our culture and in our country for this slide or the slide before? Absolutely. People have many hills they want to die on for issues that they believe in and they believe in strongly. And the interesting thing about division is most of the time, the greater the division, the stronger the feeling that each person has on their side. And they both think that they're right. That's why division is so strong. So it's very interesting. Some of the time you feel so strongly about something and you can't understand why someone wouldn't feel strongly the same way that you do. And the funny thing is they think the same exact thing. It's just the opposite except for toilet paper, because it always has to be over. <laughs> but on so many issues, we live in a divided world. I probably don't have to remind you of what the last three years has looked like in our country. There's been times during COVID where we've had tremendous amounts of unrest and riots and death and horrendous things. Even if you were to survey people in our country and in our community now, it's, it's like we're, we're divided people. So as the church, we're thinking of this concept of being rooted in peace in the middle of hostility and division. And there's even greater divisions that exist. There's socioeconomic, there's, there's race, there's language, there's culture. And then there's even something that can divide us that cuts through it all, and it's preferences. It's amazing how many preferences we have. The way that we think things are right and things are wrong. And most of the time, we decide based on our own upbringing, our own experiences, our own preferences, and other people do the same, and sometimes they're similar, and sometimes they're different. And what we learn at a very young age is how do we find the people that are most like us? Because it seems like that will make it easier. But there's actually so much more going on than things that we even see. And some of it because of our problems, because of our sin, what this whole book of Ephesians has been about, because of being dead in our sin, it's, it's 
it's caused the divisions and the cracks and the fault lines uh, to grow. Anytime there's division and there's malice and there's hatred and hostility, that is not the root of the problem. The root of the problem is always sin. It's a sin issue. And that's why this book is relevant because no matter what, sin has always been the issue and something, no matter what culture, no matter what time, no matter who is in the narrative, sin is always there. And so if you don't deal with sin, you can't deal with the root. And if you don't deal with the root, then you're always chasing the fruit. But the fruit keeps coming back because you never deal with it. And so what I hope to do today is talk about how we can experience peace in the real way, not because of our own intellect, our own evolving, our own understanding of culture, anthropology, philosophy, but how because of what Jesus has done, we can experience peace. We can experience peace with God through Christ. And that's what Paul's been writing at, chapters one and chapter two. We can experience peace and hope and grace because of Christ, not because of us. And then as we connect to God through Christ, we accept his forgiveness, we recognize our sin, we confess it to God, we realize he paid the penalty by dying on cross for us, he conquered the penalty of sin, and he rose again to wipe it away, that penalty that we would no longer have to pay. Once we get to that point, then we can actually experience the peace with God through Christ and extend that peace with others. And it is a tremendous blessing that we have in the church and as Christians to recognize that. What I want to do is I want to start, though, to kind of go at some root categories because it's so easy to just look at division and hostility and lose hope. I can just think nothing will change, nothing will get better. And you may be here today and, and you felt oppressed or you felt people have come against you and you, you felt that burden and you don't know what to do with it. But there's an actual major division and distinction in Scripture that's really helpful. And it's actually bigger than what we may understand. And the major division and distinction in Scripture is this. There's Jews and there's Gentiles. You actually cannot find race in the Scriptures. You can find ethnic groups and there's ethnicities and there's people from different countries. But the major distinction that's over everything, the major division is Jews and Gentiles. Now, Jews are the Israelites, God's chosen people. And if you're not a Jew, you are not a part of that chosen tribe, that chosen people that he had chosen for himself. So already, that's the division. Now, Gentiles is everyone who is not a Jew. And so for most of us, that's probably the category for which we fall into. But through God's plan of redemption and through grace, he wanted his people, the Jewish people, the Israelites, to be missionaries from whom people would learn about the almighty God who created them. The Jewish people were actually supposed to be missionary-minded people. The promise to Abraham is that all the people would be blessed through him. Father Abraham had many sons. And many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Okay, so I just divided the group of those people who grew up at VBS in church. 
And those are like, that is the worst song I've ever heard in my life. But that's part of God's plan is through Abraham, the blessing of the entire world would come through the promise of the covenant through the people of God, his chosen people. And most of the time, as you read the Old Testament, there's major divisions and battles and wars that exist between God's people and the Gentiles, most of the time pagan, and it went both ways. The Jews hated the Gentiles, the Gentiles hated the Jews. And there was major strife, major pain, major problems. And Christ came and he began to bring these two people together. People were very frustrated at Jesus, religious leaders, authorities, and politics. They, they just kept seeing like there's, there's this uprising, there's something that's, that's going on, we don't know what to do with this, because Jesus continued to speak to the Jewish people, but also begin to connect to those Gentiles. And the disciples got confused at that. All the followers and the crowds got confused at that. They didn't know what to do. And Jesus was beginning to prepare the way for what his work would ultimately do. The blessing that would come, that would bless all the people, would be himself and his death and his resurrection would be for all the people, the hope for the entire world. And as you read scripture, you see this theme of redemption, but it's not just for the Jewish people, it's, it's for all of us. And so the, the first century church, Paul is dealing with a major issue. The Christian movement is getting started and Paul himself was called out, a Jew of the Jews, like he was the most educated, he was a scholar, he persecuted the early Christian church and then he himself, God was raising up to be a missionary to the Gentiles. And the church in Ephesus is made up of so many Gentile new Christians. And then there's this growth of Jewish Christians and you see these two worlds and they don't know what to do. Because we don't relate to those people. We don't like those people. Those people are not like us. And we've been trained by our parents and their parents and their parents before them. And generation after generation and generation, we do not mix God's people versus the pagan world. But through Christ, the pagan world was no longer pagan. They believed in the Messiah that was promised. And they had grace and redemption. And they were saved. And so Paul is addressing this problem. He's addressing the issues that are going on. And I want to start in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. So therefore, remember, so his audience is the Gentiles. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentile Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So what he's saying is, is we have two groups here. And in verse 11, it's, it's, it seems a little like that's kind of strange, but circumcision represents God's promise to his people. They're going to be separated. They're going to be holy to him. That represented the Israelites. Well, the Gentile pagan world, they didn't believe in that. And so they would literally use those derogatory names like, you non-circumcision people. Are you circumcised? And for us, it's like, that's really strange. We, we wouldn't do that. It feels a little weird. 
even me putting that up there on the screen. But again, this is rooted in just their identity. We're separated for God's purposes. We're the Israelites. We're his chosen people. And there was some probably elitism there. And then from the Gentiles' perspective, you're weird. You're crazy. We don't understand you. And so what Paul is addressing is, I recognize that in this work that God wants to do, we have a group of people that have always been separated from God's promises. And that's what he's describing. He's saying there's three things of the Gentile reality. And I want to mention this because if you're not Jewish, this is you. And the first is that you're, you're separated from Christ. The Jewish people were awaiting the Messiah. If you were a Gentile, you were not awaiting a Messiah. You were worshiping, most of the time, some pagan god. You're worshiping a false idol. And so you were not connected to the one true almighty God, the God of the Israelites. If you were a Gentile, you were separated from this promised Christ, the Messiah. Two, uh, you were alienated from God's people. God's people, the Israelites, there was a division. You weren't connected to the people of God. So there's a work that God's doing in the people of God, and you are not a part of it. This is what Paul's saying. And then third, you're strangers from the covenants and promises. Now, this distinction can really hit home. Everything that God has said, for I know the purposes I have for you, plans to prosper you and to bless you. What Paul is saying is those promises were not for you. You can't claim those promises and covenants. You're a Gentile that's cut off from these things that God has proclaimed to his people. Now, if you've been here and you've been following along so far, what Paul does a lot is things become very dire and then it becomes better. So what Paul is doing is like, let's not act like we've all been a unified church and a unified group and a unified people or a nation. Are you kidding me? This is the first century in the Middle East. And even today, you can see the divisions and the wars and the strife and the hostility that exists in that area of the world. It exists to this day, and it's been going on since the existence of people. So Paul's just reminding them, we're this church that God is doing, raised up through Christ, and he's doing this special work. But let's not forget, there's a reality here that we have to remember in the back of our mind. Now, why would he remind them of their roots, of their history, of their culture? Why would he remind them of that division? It's like, why bring it up, Paul? Why would you do that? Because what he wants to do, and what God's word always continues to do, is to look at the supremacy of Christ. Not our own understanding. Not our own favor. Not our own doing. It's the theme again and again and again. I want you to realize who you were. I want to realize where you've come from. Because if you can remember that, you will be filled with thanksgiving to God because of what Christ has done. So that's the Gentile reality. Now, it gets better. If you remember in Ephesians 2, the first part, it talked about how we were dead, dead in our sin. We talked about that last week. There's nothing you can do because you're dead. And he goes on to say, like, you Gentiles, part of that death is like you're, you're experiencing all this. And then he brings up the theme again in verse 13, and it's unity and reconciliation with Christ is the foundation of lasting peace. Verse 13, it says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. This is an amazing sentence. 
You are far off. Well, how are you far off? Because you're not Jewish. You weren't a part of God's people. Like you weren't in, you ever, you ever felt like you're like not in the cool crowd? You ever felt like that? You ever grown up and you go in a situation and there's all the people that you wish you looked like and you thought like and you talked like and you were in that group and you weren't a part of it? I've had that in my life. I had two major identities in my life. I was a British kid in American schools or I was an American kid, American kid in British. Did I say the same thing? Sometimes I say stuff, I'm like, that doesn't even make sense. But I grew up going to schools in England and schools in America. And when I was in England, I was always the cool American kid. I was in the group. In America, you Americans, you don't want nothing to do with me. And I was like the weird British kid that wore weird stuff, multicolored everything. And I just realized, like, I wasn't cool. I didn't fit in. And that's one of the worst feelings that you can have as a kid. It will leave a lasting impression. There's something about us that we want to be accepted, right? That's why junior high is so brutal. And that's why RSM, our ministry, is so important. Because you get beat up by the world, especially when you're young. You just want to fit in. You're like, you don't fit in here. And I think all of us have probably some different stories of that. And so what Paul is saying is, you were far off, but now you've been brought close. And that's, I want you to keep that in mind, the idea of far and close. Verse 14, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. The two here, he's talking about the Jews and the Gentiles. Those who are far off have now been brought close. And so Paul is saying is that this unity and this reconciliation with Christ that we have because of what he's done, it's the foundation of lasting peace. If you want peace, but you don't want Christ, you can't have peace. You cannot have peace if you don't want Christ. That's what Paul's saying. He's letting the church know, we have to sound this with the trumpets. We have to blare this out. We need to make sure we understand this. There is no peace that will last unless it comes from Christ, period. The rest of the time, you're not dealing with the root. You're dealing with the fruit, but you can't change the fruit unless you change the root. And so he mentions in verse 14, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, again, the Jews and the Gentiles, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Is hostility real in this world? Yes. And it's, I don't have to tell you this, it's obviously beyond just Jews and Gentiles. Hostility exists. Division exists in every city, in every state, of every country in the world. It exists everywhere because sin exists everywhere. It's infected everyone. And so what Paul is getting at is, is that the church should be a place because you have a group of people who are separated from Christ that come together and are unified, no matter their background, 
no matter their skin color, no matter their culture, no matter who they are, no matter their past, they come together in the church and they're unified not because of their similarities. They're unified because of Jesus. Jesus is the unifier that cuts through every division that exists in this world. Now, it's not just a magic key, like you accept Jesus and there's no division. No, you, you have to live out the Christian life and you have to work through your own divisions and hostility in your heart. But through Christ, you can do that. And Paul talks about this dividing wall and I just wanna talk a little bit about the temple because this comes up and he's mentioned it, but this is the temple right here and this is like a football field. You can see this is a, a really large area of space. This is like, a whole part of a city is where the temple was. And Paul is saying that there was this dividing wall of, of hostility. And what he's talking about is within this section right here, that was like the Holy of Holies. And he's saying that there was this veil that was there that separated the most holy part of the temple from the holy part of the temple. And then you have outer parts of the temple. And the idea is like the closer you got in, the more holy it was where God dwelled. And Paul's saying that you're far off. And then in picture two here, that's the inner part of that temple. And you see the Holy of Holies and you see this, this veil. And he mentioned that this veil has been torn in two. In the uttermost part of the holiest place that only could have direct access, that, that was literally torn in two. And this separated the holy place from the most holy place, or the holy of holies. Priests were allowed to minister in the holy place regularly, but only once a year, once a year, could the high priest pass through the inner curtain into the immediate presence of God. The idea was like, God is so holy, he's so pure, he's so righteous, he's so just, that any human gets close to where God dwells, you will not live. So the highest priest, once a year, get past this part right here to be where God was. And this was built into the Jewish culture. They had this understanding. And also so did the Gentiles. And in this picture here, so you have all these different parts. You have the temple right here. And we're talking about the veil that's right in here. The Gentiles, they're not even allowed. You could be a Gentile that was a follower of Christ. You were a Christian and you wanted to go to the temple to worship God. You weren't even allowed within these walls in the first century. You were allowed in the courtyard. So what Paul is saying is like, listen, there's some of you that all you've known is the courtyard. Your presence of God is far off. And he's referring to that temple. And this is where the supremacy of Christ is. And Paul speaks to, not only are you now no longer in the courtyard and far off, but because of Christ, the veil that existed in the most holy of holies that only one person could do once a year, you now have access because of Christ. It's not even you, you can come in the wall now you ever been to like an exclusive place and you get inside? Like, this is amazing. I remember when I was younger, I had a friend that was at athletic club gym. 
And I remember just walking past and thinking like, I wonder what it's like in there. To have a membership to an exclusive place that says like country club. It's like, not only can you get inside, but you get to go here. You get to have direct access. And the reason you get to have direct access is because of Christ and what he's done. And so this is what, what Paul is talking about. And so this is, this is significant. He's, he's giving this revelation of God that you now can come and you can worship the holy God. And you don't have to worry about you not being holy because you're not holy because you're a sinner. But you can be holy because Christ is holy. And when you decide to follow him and you become a Christian, his holiness covers your sin. And you can be made pure. And not only that, what Paul is saying is, those that have been divided and can't worship together, you now have an opportunity and a privilege and a duty to worship God as one people. That's what God wants to do in the church. Now, at Ridgeview Church, one of my hopes is that we would be a multi-ethnic church. But I don't know if you knew this, like, how do you make that happen? In case you didn't know, I'm white. I know, it's like a revelation. What? Well, the reality is, a white pastor, do you know the most people that I probably attract? White people. You guys are all afraid to say it. I'm speaking about race. Nobody wants to say anything now, right? But the key is, is like, no man can do something, really, that will make this unity happen. It's, it's a work of God. And you have to do it in the church Christ's way. And when I look out and I see multi-ethnic, different shades of colors, it's a beautiful thing. Because it has to be something that you cannot force, you cannot make. It's the work of God that happens in the church. And I will say this. If you are somebody who's non-white and you're a part of Ridgeview, I've never said this before, but we really value you. Now, there were times when we started the church where we were all white. We were like vanilla, like country churned. <laughs> but you know what would happen over time? People from different ethnicities came, and, and I know, it, I'm probably not bridging too far, but I know if you come and you are not white and you come to a church that's all white, there's part of like, what does everyone that looks like me know that I don't know? But I want to say, if you're a different ethnicity in a multi or in a, like a singular culture, whatever culture it is, you could be a white person in a black church or whatever the distinction, but you, you have a risk that you take because you're kind of thinking like, I don't exactly fit in here. And that you feel that. And we all feel that in different ways. The way people look, the way our experiences, this church is serious. I don't know if I fit. All sorts of things can divide us, right? But if you are, are a multi-ethnic person, and you're non-white, by you being here, it increases our chances of being more multi-ethnic because people come and it's like, oh, this is a shade of colors. And I like that. But that can't be the end goal in itself. The end goal is Christ because he's the unifier. It has to be about Christ. It has to be about Christ. And Christ will do what he wants. But I realize there's people who take risks all the time. 
And this is what Paul's saying. He's taking a great risk. He's saying, I know there's gonna be tons of people that are gonna hear that I'm saying this veil that divided the Gentiles from the Jews, I'm now saying it's, it's free and open and people are gonna lose their mind. He took a great risk because of what Christ had done, not because of his soapbox or his understanding. So let's continue. The goal of the church, to be a people where unity is true and real. I don't know of a church in the entire world that would say, hey, let's start a church and let's just divide people. No church would ever do that. Maybe there's a couple, but that's their, their MO. But most churches all want to say it. Like, we want to be unified. We want to be one people. We want to be a church of peace. But it's true, but it's not real. The real is it's actually lived out. It's experienced. People can see it. They can taste it. They, they know it's real. And so Paul continues in verse 16. So he's done this work. He's torn the, the veil and he, Christ might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. He mentions that again. And he came, this is so great, and he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. Who brought the peace? Christ. Christ brought the peace. I just want to say this. Government did not bring the peace, people. Culture did not bring the peace. Media did not bring the peace. Philosophy, science, psychology did not bring the peace. Social justice did not bring the peace. Marxism did not bring the peace. Christ brought the peace. And he brought it to those who were far off, the Gentiles, and peace to those who were near, the Jews. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Why do we have access? The veil was torn. When did the veil tear? When Christ died. When Christ died on the cross, the veil literally tore in half. Something that could not be done by man's hands, it tore in half represented this breakdown of the hostility that always existed. Really quick, I want to just talk a little bit about some of the problem of our chasing social justice. And I, I want to say this because I think there's a movement in, in churches that exist and in Christians that exist where everyone wants to deal somehow with the problem and everyone wants to do something because you feel like you should. And the more you're on social media, you may feel the pressure. And there's a lot of guilt and there's shame and there's oppression and there's those oppressed and everyone's trying to figure out what, what, what do you do with those, those categories. And so there's this movement of Marxism and, and being woke. Have you heard of being woke? And the idea is there's movement like you, to really understand people and to deal with racism and to deal with division and to try to get injustice solved and justice to happen, like you have to deal with this idea of you have to become enlightened to oppression. And the reality is we, we all need to understand oppression and we need to understand division. 
but the scriptures are written for our understanding, for our anchor, for our bearings. And it's very easy without realizing it, we chase cultural narratives without checking them against scripture. And Karl Marx, who was like the founder of of Marxism, he created a very popular way of looking at history and his ideas of grit millions about the decades and they've had a resurgence in the last couple years. Uh, He believed that history boiled down to a story of the oppressed versus their oppressors. In his day, it was the rich versus the poor, labor versus capital. But it was really his way of surviving, the evolutionary theory of survival of the fittest in the story of history. Uh, This struggle shaped every fiber of our identity as human beings, and that's what he was pushing. Uh, People weren't born sinful. They were made that way by unjust systems that that were created by powerful people to oppress the weak. This is a different gospel. It's not the gospel of the scripture. The strong were evil and the weak were good. Only if the weak unified and rose up through force could they overthrow their masters and bring about the utopia, which was peace on earth and goodwills towards man. It would take an enlightened man, somebody who's woke, that's the enlightenment, who knew how to deal with this truth as Marx did. And their goal was to bring about paradise, kind of this this heaven on earth. And in summary, this Marxism philosophy and theory translated into kind of this wokeism and can be divided into two groups. Those who have power, those who have power are the bad guys and they're sinners. And then those who don't have power, these are the good guys, the saints. Second, those who have power always oppress those who don't. And you could call this the original sin. So the original sin isn't necessarily original sin as we would know it in Scripture. The original sin is people who have power that use it to oppress those who don't. And according to the woke gospel, the categories of oppressor and oppressed are based on your group identity, not the individual choices you've made. So things like race, sex, religion, immigration status, income, sexual orientation, uh, gender, identity. The reason I want to bring this up, and especially young people, Uh, This is really being pushed in schools, being pushed in churches, it's being pushed in the media, it's being pushed in in the news. And the idea is if if you are somebody who has power, you need to somehow uh, leave the power or the influence that you have and try to get atonement for your sin, whether that's the color of your skin or the power that you've been given or the wealth that you have. The reason I bring this up is, is this is a way to pay and to deal with guilt and shame. But if Christ is the one who brings peace, you cannot find peace without Christ. And there's no Christ-centered part of Marxism or even being woke. And here's a chart just to kind of share a little bit. The Christian gospel is who we are as God, we're God's image bearers. That's everyone is made in the image of God. Everyone, doesn't matter who you are, what you look like, where you come from. We all have equal value before God. The woke gospel is the oppressors versus the oppressed. That's the division. What's our problem? Our sinful hearts. What's the woke gospel's problem? Oppressors and the oppressive system. So the reason I bring this up is if Christ is the one who can help us, then the division doesn't have to exist anymore. Now, is that utopia? No. But it means that if Christ is the one that can deal with our sin, 
And that's the problem we all have. We all have the same problem. And if Christ is the one that can solve the problem, then we all have the same solution. And the very thing that divides us can be the thing that unifies us. Christ. It's central. What's the solution? Repentance and salvation through Christ. Who can do that? Anyone. What's the solution in the woke? Social, economic, and political liberation. How are we born again? Repent of sin and become a follower of Christ. How are you born again in the woke gospel? Repent of privilege and become an activist. What's your mission? Grow in godliness and spread the gospel of Jesus. What's your mission? Woke, gaining power and spreading social justice. Your destiny, new creation. God redeems mankind. The destiny in this Marxist theory is utopia. Man redeems mankind. This last thing is the foundation of the difference. If you're dead in your sin, the man can never be the solution because we're dead. It goes back to what we talked about last week. But what Paul is saying through the scriptures and through this division of the Jews and Gentiles, he's saying that God will do a special work in his church where he'll unify people because of the forgiveness of sin. It doesn't matter our skin color. It doesn't matter our economic status. It doesn't matter if we're male or female, if we're from here or we're not. You know what unifies every single one of us, regardless of even Christ? What unifies all of us is sin. You want to really know what unifies us? We're all messed up. That's what unifies us. That's the common ground. We're all messed up. We're all stained by it, infected by it. Ephesians 2.17, I want to read that again. It says, and he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, Christ can be your peace. And he can be the peace that extends into the relationships that you have. So finally, I just want to close out with some scripture. Let me jump ahead to chapter four because it ties together. And it's this. You could put yeah. Yep, thanks. Ephesians 1, or 4, 1. It says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit of the bond of peace. Go to the next verse there. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope, that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and one Father of all, who is over all and through all, in all. I said all about 20 times, didn't I? That's what Paul's point is. We all can be one through Christ. We have one Father. We have one sacrifice, Christ himself. We have one forgiveness. We have one grace that we've been given that renews every day. And then we've been called to be one church. And that can be the universal church that exists throughout the world, but we're all supposed to be one church here locally, one unified church. And that's the work that that God wants to do. And I just want to close by just highlighting a few things that, that Paul said here. And that's to protect really the gift that we've been given. If you're a Christ follower, you can have peace and you can fight for unity and it could be a blessing to this world. It will be a light that will shine. And 
there's a few things here. Protect the gift that we've been given, and Paul mentions a few ways, and I think this is the key to, to peace. So if you could put that next verse, look at the highlights. If you want to know how to work towards peace in your relationships, it's not about guilt or shame. It's not about trying to pay for your, your own mess. It actually is about living a different life. If you want to work towards peace and you want to be a part of what God wants to do here at Ridgeview Church, Paul is saying, and we're saying, is we have to live a different way. And if you live like this, people will see that there is a Christ who's real that makes a difference. Humility. You don't elevate your opinions and preferences above where they should be. Literally means to have a lowliness of mind. You know what divides us? We think our ideas are the best. Be humble. Be gentle. Even-tempered, mild, not overly strong in your will or opinions. Actually means to be considerate. You consider that other people might think that under the toilet roll is better. I've never thought about that before. Patience. Your, your forbearance. You, you have long suffering. This means there's people in your life that bother you to no end. And you see them coming and you think, I just got to get away from that person. And what Paul's saying is if you want peace and you want to be a part of unity, be patient with people. Bear with them. Let them bother you. You know why? Because we bothered God. Our sin bothered God. He was patient with us. And he loved us. He sent his son for us. And then he says, you know what? And bear, bear with one another in love. This, lead, this means to accept them. Accept the people in your life. Put up with them even if it's something unpleasant. You know what divides us? People who annoy us. Sometimes, you know, I chew my gum and I smack it. I know that annoys people. People that love me dearly. I could spend a whole sermon about all I do that annoys people, I'm sure. But we have to bear with each other. And then Paul goes on in the next section. And he gives some words there in Ephesians, I think, 4 through 6. If you could put that up. Is that on there? Okay. He just says, be, be eager uh, to work towards this unity. Be eager for this peace. There's a speed. And then he says, to maintain it, to guard and protect this unity, this, this oneness. So what he's saying is, is, as a Christian, as a follower of Christ in the church, you have to fight for this. You've got to watch out your own heart and your own desires that begin to divide you and others. Because the enemy wants nothing more than to cause a flame of division to erupt and burn out this church. Division is one of the strongest warnings in the New Testament, those who divide. It's something you have to deal with. You have to deal with the root of that. And so we need to be eager to protect the unity. And Paul goes on to say this, this bond of peace, it's like this ligament that ties it together. Peace that we have in Christ ties us together. And so this is unique to the, 
to the church. Everyone wants the peace. And what Paul is saying is the church is where you can find it. You guys hear what I'm saying? Everyone wants the peace, but it should be here where they can experience it for the first time. And so we want to be a church that's unified in Christ because of Christ and the peace that he brings. And what I look forward to as the pastor of Ridgeview Church is to see us continue to grow and to bring people through all sorts of walks of life that look differently from each other. And the one thing we will say is, Christ is our peace. And we'll look at each other and say, you know what, Christ is my peace. You know what, Christ is my peace. You know what, Christ is my peace. And we'll have a group of people that are together. We are the world. No, right? Like, that felt right in that moment. But that's the gospel. The thing that divides us is external. But God does a work inside of us that unifies us. You can't find it anywhere else. That is what Paul's whole point is. You have to be rooted in peace and there will be tremendous fruit that will grow from it. Let's pray as I invite the band up. God, we thank you for the work done by your son Jesus who brought peace for those who were close and he brought peace to those who were far off. And we were all far off because of our sin. God, thank you for having in mind the whole entire world in your redemption story. Thank you for sending Christ who has forgiven us once and for all for what we've done. So we recognize our need for forgiveness. We recognize the division in our own hearts. And God, we pray that you will do a mighty work here at Ridgeview Church that will unify us from different backgrounds, from different ethnicities, from different experiences, young, old, male, female, that you will unify us together. In your son's name we pray, amen.